This young man was the, doing the scripture reading. So I was like, oh, he's coming up with new stuff. And I was like, oh, no, he's just moving some stuff around. I guess I got to find him. Okay. <clears throat> You're reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. That's page 151 in the Pew Bibles. Page 151. Reads. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in a the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. Well, thank you for the scripture reading. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm really thankful that you guys took the time to, to have me here. And yes, I'm just excited to be here and, and, and seeing somebody that I know some of you and others I'm looking forward to get to know a little bit uh, more. It's also incredibly encouraging to know that we've got brothers and sisters all over the world worshiping the Lord this day. Um, that we're together, seated in the heavenly presence of our King together, and we get to look forward to an eternity with, with our Lord and our King forever. What a blessing. Um, just a few announcements, as was already mentioned. Uh, I just took over a role recently with the Great Lakes Bible College as, as president. That's a role I'm really excited about. I'm excited about the future and what um, is possible, um, and to see the church thrive. My, my passion is the, the thriving of God's church. That's what I, I want to drive for and motivate and just do whatever I can to do my part in, in helping that. And if you're interested in having a conversation a little bit more, I, I love having that conversation. I'd love to talk with you a little bit more about Great Lakes Bible College. Um, I've got a, a board set up downstairs. There's some posters for some big events that we've got going on. Um, if you could support the Bible College in any way, again, I'd love to have that conversation. If you're interested, we have a promotional dinner in a couple of weeks, uh, May 4th. Uh, we don't have a Star Wars theme. We opted against that, but we still it's on May 4th. Uh, we'd love to have you come to that. It's a great meal, great time. And then we're really excited about an event in June that we're hosting. We're, we're bringing up a couple guys that are really uh, leading practitioners in church growth right now. Uh, the North Boulevard Church of Christ has had 500 baptisms in the last five years. Their mission is to plant 60,000 churches in the next 60 years. Uh, they are on a mission to make disciples and plant churches. Um, they've reprioritized what, how they do that, and there's some amazing things going on. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of those stories and about things that are going on in this world today, about just tremendous things going on in God's kingdom. This lesson is about faithful obedience, and we're going to see how those are related. 
Now, for those of you who are parents, and you'll understand this because if you're a child, you'll get this. Now, I want you to imagine if, you're, if your father, if your parent told you, said, I need you to go clean your room. You went off and you went to go clean your room, and a couple hours go by, and father comes upstairs, knocks open the door, and sees the room hasn't been cleaned at all. So why didn't you clean the room? I said, well, I, I know you told me to clean my room. I went upstairs. I memorized what you said word for word. I wrote it a hundred times. I translated it into multiple languages. I, isn't that what you wanted? We see the problem with that, don't we? I said, no, but I told you to do something. I told you to go clean your room. I didn't want you to memorize what I said. It's good that you know what I said. You acknowledge that. That's good. But something's missing if we just memorize what was said and don't do it. So we need to be people who are in faithful obedience. We need to be people who do. And this is why we've got this image here up ahead, is that obedience is one It's about following the king. And it's a call to follow him to the cross, but not just a place of death, but a place of life. And what if, there's no greater calling than Jesus makes us to say, follow me. And he tells us he'll make us fishers of men. What a great promise that he's given to us. Perhaps you've seen the picture on, on the right here. Or on, yeah, you're right. You've seen this picture before. It's a marketing campaign. It's a, a company that came out with this slogan, and it's very much representative of a lot of us and how we view the term obedience and obey. It's very negative. It carries a ton of negative connotation to it. What it's communicating is that there are authoritative structures trying to burden you and control you. And you need to rebel against that. You need to rebel. You need to kind of seek out your own authentic freedom and assert yourself. That's the real value of life, is you just have to find out truth from yourself and live that out to the best of your ability. That's essentially what a marketing campaign like this communicates. And so I understand why a lot of people, when they hear obedience, there's a reaction against it. It's already a negative connotation because authority, your understanding of all of that, it's all very bad. Now, I do want to say where I understand that is because, unfortunately, for many people's experience, authoritative structures have been corrupt. People grow up with a father who abuses them. People grow up with families who mistreat them. That's too real of an experience for us. So I'm not just going to belabor or go against this wrong idea of what it means to be obedient and what it means to be or, you know, obey. Because I understand for many people when they hear obey, there's, there is immediately a reaction against that. I, I get that. If that's my experience, I'm going to feel the same way. So then how do we react against it? Well, first, we have to define something. If we're going to talk about obedience, we have to define it biblically. How is obedience looked at in the Bible? And how does Jesus mean it when he has all these statements and commands to say that he's looking for obedience? And we're going to really look through that. Another challenge that we have in obedience, and this is maybe a little bit more, uh, maybe a little closer to home, because I think the way we look at obedience in the church is similar to what we just talked about uh, in the illustration of a child going up and just learning the words that the father says and not doing it. Obedience in the church can come all about learning and not much to do with doing. Sometimes our idea of a sermon is to come in and say, oh, wow, great sermon. It really impacted me, made me think about a lot of things. I believe it. I now accept what was said, and now I am in agreement with that. And that's as far as obedience goes. 
I heard someone, a preacher, say that if you preach a sermon to your congregation and you're telling them very much to do something, and in a week they don't do it, don't preach another sermon again. Wait for them to do. Make sure that we do that thing because if we preach sermons, if we teach classes and there's some sort of act of what we need to do and we don't do it and we just keep going as business as usual, we're actually training disobedience. We're training disobedience. That's obviously not good at all. It doesn't represent who God is. So we need to be very careful both. For one, there's the connotation of what it means to be obeyed that's simply wrong. And we need to understand what it means when it's the Bible and Jesus is talking about obedience. But we also need to be very careful that we're not just listening and agreeing, but it actually is changing us and it's leading to action. Hear, O Israel. That's this passage that we read in Deuteronomy. Perhaps the most, um, I don't want to say important passage of the Old Testament, but certainly one of the most influential, probably the standard of, of the Old Testament. This is the reason why the, the Shema, as we call it, is recited um, by, by Judaism, proponents of the Jewish faith daily. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Right? And then there's this strong emphasis of what that means. There's a way to live. Now hearing, it's very important to recognize that when God says hear, he isn't just saying acknowledge something was said. That's part of it. Hearing is understanding what was said, but then it's agreeing with it and then doing it. Hearing, when God ever says, and throughout the Old Testament, you hear it again and again, and Jesus will say that whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. There's a call to do it. There's a call to let these words change you, let them be who you are, and then go out and do the thing we're saying. We're going to cover a number of passages that really unpack that for us. So we read this passage in Deuteronomy, right? Hear, O Israel, understand who God is, but now live this out. Let the word of God change you. Let it always be on you. Let you teach it to your children. Notice that there's training involved. It's not just something I bring into myself and I listen to, but now I go and tell others. My children, my family, and I would even, we can extend that to within the church, our church family. Let's train each other. Let's show the good things that we've learned. Let's talk about it. And that's not always me coming to you know, I'll use Moises because he's right here and I know him well. I'm not always going to go, Moises, Moises, I'm going to teach you a few things today and you're going to need to listen. That's not the right, well, maybe for Moises that's the right attitude that we need to take. But it's not the right attitude here. I'm always here to correct you. That our relationship is one where I am training you. That our relationship is whenever you do something wrong, well, I'm going to call you out for coffee. I'm going to tell you what you need to change. Relationships need that type of encouragement, I'll call it. <laughs> We need that type of rebuking and challenging. We need that, but it always has to come from a place of a relationship. Your parents can tell you and even punish you, or they can tell you what you're doing is wrong and then punish you, because there's a relationship there. They're not only coming to you with the things that you're doing wrong. You know that they call that bad parenting? That's really bad parenting. If the only thing you say to your children is to tell them the things they're doing is wrong, you need to change your parenting. Your parenting should be full of love, encouragement, cheering on for successes, calling those things out. Like, though that's what parenting should be, because then there are going to be unavoidable times when you have to correct. You know, I have a son who's just under three and a daughter who's one. I have to correct my son sometimes. If I didn't correct him, I'd be, that's an abusive parent. If I just let him do whatever he wanted, what happens when he starts sticking a fork inside the socket? And then I tell him not to do it, and he keeps doing it. Well, sometimes I might have to be a little bit more 
you know, firm with him and say, James, you can't do that. And you know what my son doesn't do? He doesn't put forks in the socket. Because I've been very firm since you don't do that. But every day, and I love, I'm learning so much about who God is through being a parent. What I keep emphasizing and doing is I pour love and encouragement onto my son every day. Any little thing that he does well, I celebrate that. My wife and I always encourage, great job, James. Hey, James, you listen? That's awesome, little buddy. Hey, thanks for listening. Listening is such a good thing. Because that's listening. You followed through with what was said. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is a command. This is something Jesus has told us that we have to do. It's an imperative. It's not something we get to negotiate. But isn't it a wonderful blessing? Isn't it a great blessing that he's called us into loving obedience? that we go out into the world and we show people what we're all about, and a big, the biggest witness of all of that is our love for one another. Notice he says that, that others will know that you're my disciples by your love. It's a witness to the world when we truly love one another. And I'll know, I remember one guy, he's, he, we had a youth camp, he came to this, he was a young guy, and I'll tell you, this guy went through more pain than people should ever have to go through. Foster homes, abuse, parents and drug use. Horrible, horrible upbringing, this poor young guy. And you could see the anger on his face all the time. Even when you talked to him, even when he was calm, you could just see that pain in him. And I remember we had a, an evening through this Christian camp where we started talking. It was Romans 12. We read through it. People just started confessing their sin, and they started talking about it. Man, I need help. I just keep doing this thing. I can't break this. And there was so much love and encouragement and prayer. It was one of those moments where I got to just watch the Holy Spirit at work in a powerful and profound way. And this guy stands up, and everyone's like crying and hugging each other. This really powerful moment. And he says, what is going on? What is this? I have never seen anything like this. He's like, I need this. You know, wouldn't say a lick the whole time, one word answers, and he sees our love for one another and our support, even when people are saying, hey, we had girls that were saying, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend, and I don't, want, I don't know why I keep doing this. I'm just stuck in this sinful relationship. Nobody was hard on her for that. We thanked her. We praised God because she was coming forward with this. And we said, let's pray about it, and whatever we can do moving forward, let's do that. And that's not the only thing. I mean, there was a lot of it. One guy said about, he's like, oh, I hit my mother weeks ago. She came at me about something, and she was being authoritative and ruling over me, as he thought at the time. I got so angry, she tried chasing me out. I turned around, and I swung my hand, and I knocked her to the ground. And he just, he couldn't even finish the sentences, because he was so broken up that he could even do that. And it was just a place of encouragement and love, and said, look, that's, we're not endorsing that. That's clearly wrong. We're not going to support that. But your repentance right now is, this is honoring God and whatever we can do to support each other. This was love at work, and it's a testimony to others when they see it. I think one of the greatest opportunities we have at the church, and this has been the case since Jesus' day and well before that, is when we show the world what real love is, man, there's no more powerful testimony to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We live in a culture that seeks after love. 
Because our experience isn't one where we have a lot of that. And so we're striving for that. But it's not a love that comes down on you with a lot of condemnation and comes after you and tells you about all the things that you're wrong about. It's a love that just says, hey, I love you and I accept you no matter where you're at. Wherever you've been, wherever you're going, like, I want to be there for you. And I'm not going to abandon you because God's not going to abandon you. I'm there for you every step of the way, even when you stumble. I'm going to keep supporting you and loving you. And there's going to be times where I need to correct. There's going to be plenty of those times. But we need that relationship to even have that conversation. If you love me, keep my commands. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. There's that obey word again. If you really love Jesus, you'll do what he says. If you really love Jesus, it's a great opportunity to say, Jesus, if you've told me to do this, yeah, I want to do that. That's the sign of love. That's an act of love, is to obey Jesus. We're going to read a few passages here in Matthew chapter 7, and then kind of the, the corresponding passage from the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. So in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew's chapter 5 through 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, I had a conversation with a professor of mine at, at, at Laurier, and he was, he was very much an atheist, and we would get into these discussions. And one of the things he said to me was, he says, okay, like, I understand you're a Christian and whatnot. He's like, and I don't like much of it. He's like, but what I do like is the Sermon on the Mount. His Sermon on the Mount is one of the most profound pieces of literature in human history. So recognize, even from someone's eyes who doesn't believe, they still, there's a recognition there's something powerful going on in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know what it means to be a disciple and follower of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount's a great place to go. And recognize that the very, we won't read the passage, but in the very beginning of chapter 5, Jesus turns to his disciples and then starts to say, blessed are they. This is teaching for his disciples. The crowds hear it, but this is directed towards his disciples of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And do you know how this passage ends? In a really powerful way. Chapter 7, verse 24. And remember, powerful sermon that Jesus gives and how the conclusion's important. This is how he ends it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat it against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash." Jesus ends this message with this heavy importance about, now go do this. The Sermon on the Mount isn't something that we just memorize and agree with and say, what a wonderful teaching, like my unfortunate professor thought. No, he's calling us to live like this, to go do this. This is what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, a member of the kingdom of God, is to live like this, because it shows what it means to be members of the kingdom. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. And there's slightly different wording, but it's important, I think, to kind of read through that and notice. Notice that. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house. He goes into that illustration about building it on the foundation. If you want to build a house on rock, it's about listening and doing 
what Jesus has said. Why do you say, Lord, Lord? Why do you make this proclamation that I am the Lord, but you don't do it? Why do you say that? But then your actions prove contrary. And Jesus has a term that he uses to describe that type of living. It's called a hypocrite. He says, you claim that you follow me, you do all the religious things, but now your life doesn't match up. There's inconsistency. You're putting on a face that suggests something that's not true. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for us, is that we actually really want to look religious. Because it communicates to everybody, look at how godly I am. But my heart can still be far from God. I can let everybody, I can even trick people into thinking, I'm a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, but then I mistreat my wife. Then I mistreat my family. I'm too focused on watching the game when I could be spending time with my kids. And I'm not, I get the Maple Leafs are in the playoffs, I get that. I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing to take time and do that, but there is neglect when it becomes a part of your life and you're just not spending time with your family. Quality time showing how much you love your family. We can say that we're all about the poor, but then we never have any associations with the marginalized, those who have been rejected by our culture, those who wake up day in and day out and never feel like there's anyone out there to accept them. The only hope that they have is sitting on the street and hoping that maybe someone will give them some food. You know what it's like to live with no hope? Sometimes that's hard to understand. If we come to church and we're a part of the church and we recognize, I've got the greatest hope of all. I've got Jesus Christ. How could you, the idea of not having hope might be hard to understand. But understand, most people live without any shred of hope. And you don't understand how hard that is. That people won't accept me. That there's conditions in all of my relationships that the only reason that I even have the friends that I do is because I have something to offer, and if I, if I lack something to offer, I'm just going to get rejected. I remember all my old drinking buddies. I mean, as soon as I stopped drinking, they didn't have time for me anymore. I no longer offered something. And that's the whole parable of the prodigal son, and all, I won't get into the older son, but the younger son, I mean, he went and lived, and he had all the friends in the world when he had money. I'll tell you, if you want friends, if you're rich, you'll have a lot of friends. But if you have nothing, who's there for you? Well, people don't want anything to do with you. So Jesus tells us that to be faithful, we need to be people who live out for him. And the great command, the great commission to go out into all the world, making disciples of all the nations, we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're teaching them all the thing, to obey everything Jesus has said. You know, the command in that passage isn't the going. The command isn't the baptizing, and the command isn't the teaching. I want to be very clear that those are all very important. The command in that passage is to make disciples. The command in that passage is go make disciples. And the going, the baptizing, and the teaching all feed into what it means to make disciples. Disciples don't just happen. They're handcrafted. Disciples need people to step into their lives... We all need mentors. We need people who walk through life with us, who guide us, who challenge us, who call us to higher holy living, but also call us out for sometimes things and attitudes and thoughts and just things that we do that aren't representing who God is. We need that. That's God's design for the church. Have you ever gone through all the one another passages in the New Testament? 
Have you ever, just read through all those and tell me how, how that can't impact you. Love one another is repeated again and again. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. Care for one another. Again and again, this desire and need to do things with the idea and mindset of doing it for others. You know why we do all of that? Because that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus Christ is. He's the one who came from the heavenly abode. He came from the throne room of God himself and lowered himself to the place of a servant. All for us. He put the needs of others first over and above his own. And that's why Paul tells us in Philippians, be like that. Jesus set the standard. And so be like that. Imagine if the church, every day of every week, woke up, everyone woke up and said, how am I going to serve people today? Man, my mission today is to serve someone. I'm not saying serve 100 people. I'm just saying today I'm going to serve someone. I don't know maybe who that is. Maybe I need to come up with a strategic plan on how to do that. But if every day we woke up and said, I'm going to serve someone, I'm going to love them, and nothing's going to stop me, what would happen? If we woke up every day and said, Lord, I'm devoted to you, I'm excited about the opportunities that are come, Lord, I belong to you, you're my king, where are we going today? Where's the opportunity to be? Who can I call to encourage? Who can I get together for coffee? Who can I walk with through life? Who can I serve with? That's what discipleship is. That's what it means to make disciples. See, a disciple is an apprentice. And if our idea of discipleship is only in a classroom setting, man, we're missing out on the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Discipleship, so this is a very important time. This is a very important thing that we're doing because we're honoring God. We're worshiping. You ever think that there's something deeper and more spiritual going on that we're actually within the throne room of heaven? If you were at training for service on Friday, that was the theme of what we are talking about, that there's something deeply spiritual going on when we sing praises to God and we pray to him, we partake in the Lord's Supper, we hear a sermon, we hear what God is saying to us through his word, but then we need to encourage each other, band together, and say, let's go out into the world and be those people. This is who we're going to be. So Christian obedience. To obey means to keep guard or hold fast to the words of God. This is why we need to define this. It's not just obey, but it means we're keeping it and we're guarding it. Like When I take the word of God, I'm going to protect it. I love it. I care about it so much that I'm always reading and learning and abiding and reflecting, and sometimes I don't understand things, so I'm talking with brothers and sisters about it, but it's so crucial to who I am that if you took the word of God away from me, I would starve. If you, if, if you took prayer away from me, I would start to suffocate. That's the type of people we need to be. Hearing is attending to what is said, understanding, and then acting. And God's word is to be put into our hearts. It's to change our very motivation. It's to change our will. It's to change our desires. And obedience sometimes means doing the things you don't want to do. I remember being very convicted. I had all these movies that I had downloaded I had this big binder full of downloaded movies, and I was, would always justify it through had a lot of silly arguments and things that I would say about why it was okay. And the thing, the verse that really kept poking away at me from time to time is that was, there is no thief who will enter the kingdom of God. And I'd go into trying to argue against it. You know, it's like I'm doing this little spiritual battle as the Holy Spirit tries to say, Paul, it's not good. Just I'm going to quote scripture to you and just leave it with you. And I would try to argue against it. And then I remember finally being like, I can't do this anymore. And I begrudgingly dragged my feet to put all of these DVDs into a garbage bag. There was no smile on my face through this process. And I threw it out. Well, there they go. And you know what happened the moment I threw it to the garbage and kind of left it there? That wasn't so bad. 
that actually felt kind of good. I did the right thing. Hey, I can live without those. That's not, I, don't, I didn't need those at all. But the process in doing it wasn't an easy one. I had a lot of barriers in wanting to do it. Obedience is not something that's meant to be easy. Now, I'll tell you why obedience isn't something that's easy, because that tells us a lot more about who we are than who God is. We were having a conversation just this last week with a few people talking about how sometimes God's love is difficult to understand because it's so profound. Ephesians talks about the depth and love of Christ's love, that it's, you should contemplate and reflect on it. There's no length. There's no height. There's, like, it's, it's infinite. And so when we start understanding infinite concepts and reflecting on it, that's hard to understand. So God's love is profound, and I'm going to spend my life reflecting on it and being changed by it. And the contrary of God's love is sin. I understand sin really well. What's that say about me? Sin I get. Love is hard. But it's changing me. Love, Christ's love compels all of us. It's changing us, it's motivating us, it's doing something transformational because it's making us more like Jesus Christ every day. It should be in our hearts. And we need to look at it through as love, not a duty. If we think of obedience as a duty, we're going to burn out because we're putting it on our own shoulders, we're making it all about us, and it's not out of love. Outside of saying, Lord, I want to do what you want to do, even when it's hard. And I want to believe in what you're doing, and I know that you're doing through something, you're going to do good things through my obedience, and I don't always know how that's going to work out. It's about training others, and it's putting it into practice. Today's a day that the world recognizes and celebrates Easter. We recognize and celebrate the cross. We all know that it's not just something that's meant for once a year. We all know that it's not something that's even to be celebrated once a week. It's something that we need to remember daily. We need to remember that every single day, I can confidently and boldly say, nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing will separate me from the love of Christ because of the blood that's on the cross. Without blood, there's no redemption. Without blood, there's no reconciliation. But now because I've been reconciled, because I can boldly stand in the very throne room of God, that he has given me his spirit, that he dwells within me, I can proudly proclaim who God is. I have a deep abiding relationship that's always growing because of what God has done. That's our attitude. And guess what? There's going to be a lot of stumbling along the way. There's going to be a lot of time when I'm looking in the mirror and I'm thinking, man, what a failure. Man, what a failure. I just am not worth it. I just, I'm not good for this. And I have to battle that all the time. I hear, I hear the lies of Satan in my life regularly. You're not a good leader. You need to get out. You're doing more damage than good. You're just going to make people uncomfortable. Get out. You're making people uncomfortable. You're not worth it. Someone else can do a better job. And I have to just lay that all aside. God's going to put me in the positions he's going to put me in. If I'm in a position, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. It still blows my mind to think that I am with the Waterloo Church of Christ, serving in the capacity that I do, and now I'm working alongside the Bible College in the capacity that I'm working alongside. I don't understand it. I don't know what God's doing. But I know God's doing something great. I trust that. Because I've looked at the last 10 years and I've seen, wow, God, you've done amazing things. I'm excited for the next 10 years. I have to rest inside in the promises of Jesus Christ to remember who he is and what he's doing. And alongside what the cross is all about and in our obedience and our service and growth towards being obedient followers of Jesus Christ, we always need to, be know, we always need to make sure that it's clothed always with grace. We will not be fully obedient to this side of the cross or this side of the resurrection. 
Before Jesus comes back, we're always going to see that there is sin in our life. There are things that need to be reconciled. There's areas in my life that need to change. But there's always the continual growth and giving things over to God, giving them back to God, and saying, God, I know that you forgive me. Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace. Lord, without your grace, it's just a burden. And it's through grace we've been saved. And so if that's extended to me, I'd better extend it to my brothers and sisters. When my brothers and sisters are failing, I can hold them accountable. Man, I better come with grace pouring out into their lives. Let's be people of grace and recognize that obedience is true freedom. That when I live for myself, that just leads to a burdened existence. That actually leads to slavery. But God has called us to something far greater. And when he calls us and he commands us, all God is doing is asking us to be like him. These aren't commands that God threw the dice down and said, well, I guess murder is wrong. I guess lying's wrong. I guess this is, this is just what you should do. The commands of God are reflections of who he is. And so when God asks us to save the lost, it's because God has a deep passion and love, love desire to save the lost. Jesus is the great testament to that. And so we, as his people, reflect that, and we do as Jesus did. You see, the book of Acts is the mission of the church, and it's the fulfillment of everything that Jesus did. What you see Jesus doing in the Gospels, now the church does in the book of Acts. And we're the continuation of that story. We are the continuation of the book of Acts. We are the church. We're on his mission. We're saving the lost. We're discipling believers. We're bringing other peoples into obedience. We're teaching to obey everything he said. That's all of the words of Scripture. So we need to recognize this wonderful freedom that we've been given. And our attitude should always be, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And you know why our attitude is like that? Because that was Jesus' attitude. And when Jesus says, follow me, it's to be like Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. Where do you think he's calling us to go? He's calling us to take up our cross daily. And it's not about the death. That's important. But it's about what happens on the other side of that. That through death is the only way we can have life. And through life, we have the riches of this relationship with Jesus Christ that lasts forever. Praise God for this wonderful gift that he's given to us that challenges us every day to work together, to love one another, to call ourselves to greater service and doing good to others. Thank you, Lord, that you're so patient with us when we don't always follow you. And when we try to create us, when we try to dictate to you what our follow following is like. I'd like to pray and just give thanks that we've had this time. Almighty God, it's because of you that we have life. It's because of you that we can praise you. It's because of you that we can even come to pray. Lord, only through Jesus Christ can you even hear our offerings, that you will listen and that you have reconciled us and have this relationship. Thank you, Lord, for your reconciliation. Thank you for this call to be this call to holiness and this call to live for you. And Lord, thank you for the gift of freedom. We pray all things in the name of Jesus, the only name that can save. Amen. We're going to have a hymn, hymn number 186. Let's stand and sing.